what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's festival will be held September 27th through the 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan, and I am a co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society. With me is Chris, also co-founder and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to uh, our discussion today. We may be a little draggy because, (laughs) you know, both of us saw a certain film last night. Mm -hmm. It's a little long. It is. Three hours and 45 seconds, to be exact, if I remember correctly. And uh, we've also been trying to cram in another couple of films to make sure we review. So it's been a little busy week, but we've got a lot to talk about in our review show here. So this is Foot Candle Films on the Mesh. This is where we talk about uh, both films in the movie theaters. We give some quick reviews of those uh, of those films. We try to tiptoe through some movie news and items that maybe we can share with you that we're finding of interest in the film community. Then we will wrap up the show with our recommendations, a film that each of us choose that we want to offer up to the audience as something that you may want to consider checking out. If you're in the market for looking for a film uh, to pass your time or maybe something to catch back up with that we think is worth uh, worth your time. So today's episode, Chris, we've got kind of a full one. And the first review we're going to be going into in just a moment is the latest from the Marvel Cinematic Universe it is the 22nd film of that saga. That's a lot. It's a lot. It is Avengers Endgame. Perhaps you've heard of it. <laughs> uh, doing some pretty good business right now. We will be discussing that film. And just to go ahead and forewarn you, we will t- start the review as a very general review. But we will go fairly quickly, I think, after not too much time has gone by, into some more spoiler territory. So we will give you fair warning when we're going into that in case you have not seen the film yet and do not want to be uh, spoiled by anything we have to share. Then after that review, we'll be talking about another film, and this one is called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. For those of you who've been listening to the show for quite a while, this is one that has made it into our news section quite a bit as the constant story of will Terry Gilliam ever get to finish his Don Quixote film? Probably pops up like twice a year at least. And the answer is yes, he did make it (laughs) and we watched it and we're going to review it here for you. Then after that review, we've got a couple of movie news items to share and discuss and then the recommendations that I mentioned earlier. So. Chris, as long as Endgame is lengthwise and as much as we have to process, we better go ahead and get a start on this. Are you ready to enter the Endgame? Uh, yeah, let's let's assemble and do it. I, I guarantee we won't talk three hours and have – no, two hours and 59 minutes or whatever you said. That I, I'm was. guessing 2.30 is maybe okay. what we'll go on the discussion here. Fair so enough. we'll trim it a little bit. That is correct. We're going to be talking about Avengers Endgame. All these people die. I keep telling everybody they should move on. Some do, but not us. 
Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We will. Whatever it takes. Chris, there have been very few film franchises that I can think of that can tout 22 films. Uh, James Bond, who we will talk about in our news section a little bit later. He's getting up to 25. getting ready to go to their 25th. Okay. However, that's also been over a, what, probably 50-year period of time? Right. 25 films. Out of those 25 films that the James Bond franchise has had, I got to imagine that you know not all of them fared as well on Rotten Tomatoes or any kind of critic aggregate site. I know those didn't exist until just in the last 10 years, but sure. imagine if they had. Uh, you know, some of those James Bond movies were kind of clunkers. Some of them just were not good films. Right. Uh, you've had a few that were really stand out, but it's been a mixed bag, I'd say, on the James Bond front. Then you take other franchises we've had that have had you know, three, six films. I think Star Trek's maybe pushed up with the two different versions of Star oh, Trek. Right. Might be up to like maybe 10 films, 11 films. I'm not sure. Somewhere I guess that may be the closest, maybe? Yeah, I think so. When you factor in the Star original films, series, you factor in the next generation films, which right. there are a couple of those. Then you had this new parallel universe version, the J.J. Abrams version. Right. There might be 11, 12 Star okay. Trek films. But nowhere near 20. Still talking 22 <laughs> over a like 12, 13 year time span too. Sure. So here we are. Avengers Endgame is the culmination of this. And Marvel has come right out and said, this is kind of the ending of this whole 22 movie saga. This chapter of our universe is now coming to an end. Okay. Now you and I reviewed Avengers Infinity War, which... Yes. For a little background, you know, when they first promoted these two films, they were promoted as Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2. Right. Then they made a change and say, no, 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 we're just going to have Infinity War be one movie and we're not going to tell you the name of the next movie yet. <laughs> then Infinity War came out and then a little while later they teased us and they said, okay, fine, the name's Endgame. Right. It's still Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 if sure. you really want to look at it that way. You were not so high on the Infinity War Correct. movie. Um, you, I think you and I actually got a little disagreements on kind of how we take that style of storytelling. You were frustrated by just the, you know, the, the multiple strands and stories and the kind of the, the teasing of new things and not really completing and telling a whole story on its own and all that. And just, you were not as enamored with it. Me, I, I may try to make a, a stand for the idea of serialized storytelling that I think it was trying to convey. And I love this cliffhanger notion and where it was going to lead to and got actually excited for Endgame. Actually, I, I don't get terribly, terribly excited about films coming up because I, I think in the, in the years we've been reviewing films, I've tend to be a little more pessimistic about whether mm -hmm. or not a film is going to be good before I go into it. Sure. This one, I'm pretty amped for it. You can ask my family that went with me last night. We were we were pretty excited for it. So, Chris, all this I'm saying is, is build up because this is a big film to talk about. And my question to you really comes down to, given the, the fact that this is branded as this big finale, and it is truly a finale to the previous film. I mean, it is a follow-up well, yeah, to that. it's part two to the part one. Does this film elevate your stature of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole? Or, at the least, did it elevate your stature of this two-part story that they're telling now that you've seen the conclusion to its rightful end? Hmm. Well, you know, does it elevate the Marvel Universe as a whole? 
uh, easy answer is no. Um, Because, you know, I guess when you're trying to juggle as many ideas and stories and plot threads and everything that they are, which, you know, I give it to them. I thought Infinity War, to skip back to that, because that addresses the same thing here with Endgame, they were juggling a lot. And for it to not be a horrible mess was pretty impressive considering, yeah, they were building off 20 other films and that was the 21st and they're, they've just got a lot of stuff going on. It still was unsatisfying for me in that it was kind of messy, but it could have been a whole lot worse. You know, it could have been just ridiculously bad. Um, upon a revisit that I did of that film to get ready because I'd forgotten who died and who lived, <laughs> who turned to ashes and who didn't. So I revisited it and I actually thought, you know, okay, you know, it's not as bad as I remembered yet. Yeah, still kind of slow and, you know, the pacing's a little off. But overall, okay, I liked it a little better. Um, with this one, yeah, I, th- I feel like it was a good part two to the part one that had been okay. before it. Um, it's n- nowhere near the top of my favorite Marvel films. Okay. Um, because I did, you know, I had said <laughs> at one point in one of the previous show that I was going to go on Letterboxd and actually rank mm-hmm. the 21 films to kind of get a standing of where certain ones are. And yeah, it's it's definitely not at the top. Um, it's definitely not number one. I'd have to go back and put it back in there now. Um, but it was... It was it was a it was a good ending and you know a good I guess close out to however you could close out this this story and not being familiar like you are with kind of the story arc of Infinity War of the whole idea of who Thanos is was you know it probably limits me in somewhat of an appreciation which you know I feel like this film even more so than maybe Infinity War Endgame to its detriment, in my opinion, but I'm sure if you're a fanboy, it would be the absolute opposite. I feel like it does a lot of, it's very focused on fan service so much so that sometimes you're just, if you're not a fan or you're just an average movie giver, you're like, okay, let, let's, let's move on. You know, I, I get it. Let, let, let's progress, you know? So that, that was kind of to its detriment, but there were things about Endgame that I like. I think it's a nice end to the 21 films that came before it. Um, but, you know, honestly, the things that I will I will say, and I think that was one of my big disappointments, was the fact that I knew it was going to be kind of a two-part thing, even though they tried to hide the titles and unhide the titles about part one, part two. Oh, no, it's just Infinity War. And then they can't know this, you know. Okay. That aside, I have to admit going into this, which is everybody's question. We'll get into spoiler talk later. Who lives, who dies? Mm-hmm. Uh, who tells the story, to quote Hamilton? But that's kind of like what you want to know is like, okay, what are they going to do? Um, they confront Thanos within the first, let's say, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was surprising to me. And I really, mm-hmm. not knowing a lot of the comic book history background, I don't know if that was the same as how they played out in the comic books or not. Um, but that was very, very satisfying to me because I was like, oh, cool. They just Because you, you think that's something that's going to happen two thirds or maybe. In a, and nope, that, that happens in the first 15 minutes. So I was actually kind of really surprised by that. Um, but then after that happens, they kind of, you know, it was kind of like full throttle and then they kind of put back into second gear for <laughs> a little bit of some of the movie, which I understand, you know, they're, you know, pacing and five years pass at one point. So I get it, but just, it still seemed a little bloated to me, but I get they're trying to cover a lot. So I guess if they pared things down, they'd tick off the fanboys, you know, they feel like they gotta, it's just really crammed full of a lot of stuff. But there were things that I liked. So before I get into specifics, Alan, what was your 
initial take on Endgame? Well, of course, I come to this from a whole different perspective. I am said fanboy. I am the one claiming for fan service (laughs) along the way. But however, I did go with my wife to see this. And Mm -hmm. my wife is the farthest thing from a fan. She does not know these characters. She does not know anything other than things I have told her. So So my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and throw under the bus. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) As we were watching the credits, she actually turned to me and was like, I thought Wonder Woman was going to be in this. Wow. Um, sorry, Brenna, but you don't listen oh, to the show, so you don't know. So, and I was like, no, she's DC. So that was my like wife a, at so least. You talk about having somebody with my you. My wife that at least doesn't... knew that and was making jokes <laughs> on the way out of the lobby loudly saying, I thought Wonder Woman was great in it, and knowing nice. good and well that Wonder Woman's not in it nice. and trying to upset all the fanboys in the, in the lobby. Nice. Um, so I got, you know, my perspective, and then I got the perspective of someone who's not a fan but just goes for enjoyable movies. Right. Um, my wife had a wonderful time with the film, loved it. Thought it was extremely entertaining, even though she didn't know all the nuances and all the fan service stuff. I really liked the film a lot. Now, I actually probably don't like it as much as Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And I can, can go into the reasons that? why. Okay. But there's a lot more things I admire about this film than Infinity War. Infinity War pulled off something I'll explain later that I, I still think was pretty miraculous. It's the covering all those characters... And juggling all those balls without feeling like it was overwhelming to me. That was Infinity War for me. I mean, I was the one who said when Infinity War was announced and it was going to be all these people in it, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be a mess. How in the world are you going to do it? Somehow they did it. This movie juggles everything fine too. Um, I feel like there's some tonal things with it that don't work for me as well, which we can talk about in spoilers because it really does hinge on a lot of the big plot points. Tonally, the film was a little more mixed for me all okay. over the place. Okay. I still admire the script writers. I will say till my dying day, the guys who wrote the scripts for these two films, uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, they know how to write these movies to where if you had told me that there were 20 plus big name actors and characters that we were going to be following <laughs> in a three hour film mm-hmm. and that I would not feel like lost or overwhelmed, right? I would have said you're crazy. But yet, in two films in a row, I think it's been pulled off. Where I still can, at the end of the movie, be like, "Wow, they actually hit." Everybody got a moment. There was like simultaneous storylines that I could follow. The you know stakes I understood all the way through. I understood what everybody was trying to do for the most part throughout the entire film. Mm-hmm. There are so many other superhero films that I can't say that about, or science fiction films or action films that. I find myself halfway through not sure what's going on or not sure what every character's motivation is. I've never felt that with these two movies. So I'm going to give them huge props for that. I will just say that I think it was a really fun movie. I had probably had a much more enjoyable time watching this movie because I watched it in a really packed theater with a lot of rabid fans. Right. So I had a great experience watching it. It was had more fun moments for me, but I think as an overall film, it didn't work as well for me as Infinity War did. But I think the two of them together do work as a singular piece. Now, well, thank goodness they released it separately. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's also an argument to make it. They could have probably made it three movies instead of two and not had them be three hours long each. Hmm. So, but I, I, I will just say some generalities and then I'd like to hear some generalities before sure. we go into spoiler stuff. Sure. Um, I, I've been, I've been fine with, uh, with, uh, Tony Stark, with, uh, uh you know, uh, uh, uh Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. Sure. 
you know, I thought his shtick got a little old after a few movies. And it's like he plays this smarmy, smart, smart guy. And he's playing a very kind of accentuated version of himself as a persona. I will say I thought he was really good in this movie. Robert Downey Jr. Probably the best I've seen him play this character hmm. since the very beginning. Okay. I think he had some really interesting scenes that I'll talk about in spoilers. Uh, where he had some really interesting things to say and got to play a little against type. And I thought it was great. I thought Chris Evans was very good in this movie as well. He's always been my kind of my favorite out of this whole deal. And I thought he really did a great job as Captain America. Steve Rogers um, had some great moments too. Again, we can talk about in spoilers. And I think on the acting side, that's probably where my accolades stop. <laughs> no, it's not that anybody did a bad job. Awesome. It's just everybody was just kind of serviceable. You know? Wow. I felt like everybody was playing their part. Okay. And did fine reciting the lines they're supposed to recite. But hmm. I don't feel like anybody really else really came to the acting game and stepped it up. But I do feel like our two main protagonists did. Um I even thought Thanos, who I was, I really thought was an incredibly effective villain in Infinity War, probably one of the better realized villains I've seen in a while, uh, wasn't as impressive in this film either. So, you know, my my feelings are mixed. I like this film a lot. I had a really good time with it, but sure, um, and it was a great culmination. It did a great job of wrapping everything together. I'm impressed with how everything did kind of come to an end in a, a storyline ending, which is the first time we've seen that in any of these Marvel films. Cause every Marvel films kind of leaves you with a lot more strands. You know, it's just that continuation story. This one, I felt like with a couple of exceptions wrapped up pretty good. Um, but I, everything else I'm going to talk about has to be spoiler based. So, okay. um, what about you? Anything generality well, can, you just want to say? Yeah, you? I can run down. I think all of my comments are basically, um, pretty non spoilery. So okay. I can run into those. Um, one of the, I'll say that overall, you know, I've said one of my misgivings was they just, I felt like they had a lot of things that they just crammed in this movie. So if they were to pace it out into three, maybe it would have been better. But I feel like there was just too much going on, even though they did have a three hour running time. So if they tried to explain everything, it probably would have been six and a half hours. So thank goodness they didn't do that. Um, but the other thing too, that you kind of mentioned and it's a negative for me, but I'll get in how it's like a negative positive or a positive negative. Cause it's both. Uh, tone in this film. I mean, you know, spoiler, if you haven't watched Infinity's War, half the world's population gets wiped out. So, you know, considering that, any kind of jokes often kind of land with a thud because it's like, yeah, you're joking about this, but yet you're in the same, like, a sentence before you were talking about how everybody's dead. You know, lots of people are dead. But I get it. You want to have a little bit of laughs in there because this is ostensibly a, you know, air quotes, kids movie, because it's a comic book movie. It's not rated R. It is. So I get that you're trying to provide a little bit of levity. Otherwise, it could just be really Mm. dark. Um, And they did. They did have a little bit of the way I liked how they did an Infinity War. Basically, once they got going, the humor kind of stopped, which made it kind of boring because then you didn't have anything to break the tension. But early on, when you had the explanation scene with Dr. Strange kind of filling Tony Stark in on like, here's who Thanos is like, and then Finney says kind of explaining everything. There was some back and forth there that was kind of, kind of funny. This film has some, what I thought were funny things that I liked, but within the context of this film, I think maybe shifting a little bit too much of a tone now, but I liked it, but I'm just not sure it worked in the film. And I'll, my example is, Thor is the big Lebowski. (laughs) 
Um, basically, after the events of the first film, Thor kind of becomes a bum on Earth. He kind of becomes a bum, and they set up this like new Asgard type place. And I won't go into much more of that, but kind of that idea and kind of spinning off a little bit of those shorts that he's made with Taika Waititi about living in an apartment and being a bum and actually the body image that he does, I think is really funny. And the reaction in the theater of lots of females who obviously love the heck out of some Hemsworth were aghast. I'm like, <gasps> like I actually heard audible gas in the theater and like, Oh no, you know, no, this kind of thing. That was really entertaining for me. But in the context of the film, kind of jarring because it was too mm-hmm. much like Thor Ragnarok, which is a completely different type of Marvel movie. And that's what made it so refreshing. But I feel like that one did a better job balancing tone. So yeah. although I like those moments within the context of this film, kind of jarring. Well, and yeah. And again, I'll, I'll, I've got some more things to say when we get spoiler wise, but yes, I, I agree with you again. Tone was the issue for me too. I'm all for humor, but I do feel like that. There's a whole middle section of the film that I'm. We can talk about in a little bit more detail. That's something that I think was a nice surprise. Mm. Kind of the direction the story took. Okay, I did not expect it. Okay, and I thought it was a great. I love the fact that I didn't know any more about this film. Even the previews only showed you stuff that was really in the first twenty minutes. Sure, that was awesome. I will go and give props to the marketing department for not spoiling anything. For really the last two about hours of kind the of the solution about how they were going to attack yeah. the problem that was refreshing to me. I mentioned one of the things I had that was refreshing yeah. was confronting Thanos. Yeah. The second thing that was refreshing was how they were going to try to win the battle. Well, how are they going to win? Yeah, and, and that was they had an idea. I had a theory in my own, my own mind trying to think how they're going to do this, and it turned out my theory was right. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because it, they gave me any hints on right. it. It's just truly me trying to figure out well, how are you going to do this. Um, yeah, I, 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 that was a that was a nice surprise. It was surprise incredibly well. inventive. Unfortunately, I think the tonal shift during that whole section lost sight of the whole seriousness of the storyline. Right. Where I actually enjoyed the first portion of this film mm-hmm. immensely. Mm-hmm. Even as serious and dour as it was, I thought some of the dialogue that was happening, some of the character moments were really, really good. Agreed. And I thought the ending was pretty well done. It's like, yeah, if you're dividing it up into thirds, I would agree. First third, really good. Second third, I actually liked, even though the tone was way off, but I liked kind of what they were doing. And then actually the weakest part, which is probably why I end up where I end up, the last part, you know, unfortunately, it was another big climate, which you know it's going to be, climactic battle scene, really hard to see. It was, you know, dark, you know? I, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you on that. And I'm the one that's always against the big overdone CGI spectacle, big 20 minute battles. But, of the you know, movies. 21 films, you're building up to something. That's yeah. I give them a pass on seen. it because I thought it was still given all the chaos out there. It was relatively well done. But I will say probably as uh, well done as it could be. Not as to, I still don't feel like it was as good as some of the big battle scenes at the end of Infinity War, which I did think were a lot easier to follow, mm. were a lot better, well directed. Well, at least they were in the daylight. Yeah, this one <laughs> just was a lot more of just throw everything in the screen. Yeah, and a lot more commotion. It was kind of hard to follow the action. I'll say something to keeping it vague because it's a, it's another positive. Because I, I do want to say some positives. 
I am not that familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy characters. I remember when the movies came out, I told you, like, yeah, I have no clue who these people are. I don't know any of their background. Um, having seen Infinity War and the first two Guardians movies, I knew who Nebula was. And I kind of thought that I I got the, you know, her relationship to Thanos and everything. Reengaging with that idea in this movie and kind of what that brings about and the way it was done through the writing and everything – I thought it was really cool. That mm-hmm. was my, I, and I didn't expect that because she's kind of a minor, you know, she's not Captain America. She's not, you know, mm-hmm. Iron Man, you know, so kind of having her end up being kind of a more of a bigger player. And then I was like, Oh, well that's, that's yeah. kind of cool. Wasn't expecting that. So sure. I, I liked that. So, well, I, I will just say before we get into spoiler stuff, I, I had a really good time with the film. I thought it's considering everything it's trying to accomplish. I think it did a really good job. I love the fact that it surprised me a lot. Um, however, I will just say I, I just did feel like um, it, the tone was just a little tough to kind of keep balanced. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like, although I love some of the fan service moments, I do feel like some things were just purely in there for fan service. And I don't appreciate that when that's been done. Mm-hmm. When fan service happens naturally in service of the story and it, it creates a really cool moment or scene, I'm all for it. I love it. Right. It's just when you feel like it's almost being forced in, I'm going to give it a pass on a lot of that with this being this last big culmination film, but it still made it a little less enjoyable experience than the film that preceded it. Are you so. giving a pass to Hawkeye's haircut in the second half of the film? Um, yeah, that's fine. Oh, man. So distracting. It's just a haircut. <laughs> so, but it's a really bad one. All right. So let's let's talk a little spoilery okay. stuff if we can. I yep. want to go into some specifics here and sure. before we go too deep into things. So guys, we are going to spoil some details. If you have not seen the film or don't want to be spoiled or anything else, skip forward. And once you hear us playing the Don Quixote, the man who killed Don Quixote trailer, then or you're we good. mentioned anything about uh, Terry Gilliam, or whatever, that's a good sign that you've gone far enough. But uh, I will try to have that trailer break in there. So, spoiler start in three, two. So, Chris, I, I will say, um, I-, I mentioned before, the first portion of this film, I really liked. Sure. Because I really felt like it was taken with some seriousness. I mean, the half the population is gone. Right. And just, you know, I love the format of that first 30, 40 minutes of the film. Where it's like, okay... This just happened like within a couple of days ago. Our remaining heroes are, man, okay, this sucks. <laughs> it's like, this is bad. This is really bad. We're all upset. But you know what? Let's go take down the SOB. Let's go get the guy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, they all just kind of stood oh, around. We can't said, figure out where he is. Oh, no, we can. Okay, no, we can. then let's cool. go get him. Let's go get him. Yep. And it's like, it wasn't even build up. It wasn't this whole, no. we got to train for an hour or whatever the film. It's like, no, let's just go do it. Right. And they go and they do it. Right. And they kill the guy. Yeah. Thanos gets his head cut off. Thor specifically kills Thor the guy. Well, and that him walking off, once he's realized out of anger and just frustration, he killed Thanos. Mm-hmm. But now they have no way of solving this problem of half the world's population has gone. Right. That sense of defeat, that moment of, man, okay, yeah, we, we did what we said we're going to do, but now we're we're screwed. I mean, we, we, we have no turning back now. Sure. That was fascinating to me. To me, this is like a role that I don't normally see superhero characters playing in a movie. The scene I was talking about with with Robert Downey Jr. I thought was just really impressive 
was they rescued him from space. Captain Marvel was the mm-hmm. one who found him floating out in space with Nebula. Right. She brought him back, rescued him. And he's on an IV. Mm-hmm. He's um, emaciated. I don't know if that was Robert Downey Jr. who really lost that weight, but man, he or looked rough. Or if it was just CGI. But Could yeah. be CGI. But, you know, he kind of drops the smarmy bit just enough to say, I'm upset. We screwed up. And even most notably, Cap, you screwed up, you know? And he's like honestly taking it out on the rest of the guys. He said, I wanted to fix this whole thing years ago. I had ideas about how we were going to do it. I wanted to take care of this. And you guys fought me on this. And now look where we are. And you buy it. I'm like, yeah, I totally get where he is. He's he's ticked. He's mm-hmm. this is upsetting to him. So seeing those character moments with him, I thought were extremely well done. It's probably the best acting I've seen him do in that character because he was really playing a more real person as opposed to this facade he puts on around everybody else. Right. So this whole first thirty minutes or so, and then them realizing that they're kind of we go the five years later, there's a five year jump and we see that things are still pretty crummy and they're doing their best to keep it together. But it's really just like a band aid situation now mm-hmm. on stuff. All that I thought was so great and loved it. So you, you like the first part too. Yeah, I do. Um, and I think what we're going to slide into is the talk of time travel. Huh. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, given that that's, the route they went down, which if they had to go time travel so that they could have the Thanos moment in the beginning where they kill him, it was worth it to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked it. Um, how they got there using the, you know, the quantum universe. Quantum realm, and so yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe a little clunky, but I mean, you know, it's time travel and there again, some of the jokiness that they threw it about, wait, this isn't like back to the future. And they were so aware of what they were doing. It's like, yeah, I get it guys. You're basically, you're using this and we're just going to have to accept it. And I feel like, yeah, as an audience, you can either accept it like you do back to the future, or you can be like, wait, that doesn't make sense because they're counter doing everything. Like you just can't, you kind of have to let that go. And I guess, you know, time travel is a tricky, time travel is tricky for me in general. It makes my head hurt. I spent too much time trying to think about the logistics of it all. I'll tell you, one scene almost saved the whole thing. And again, this is probably my least favorite part of the film. Even though it had the most entertaining moments and like interactions and quips and lines, as a whole, the whole section, though, I thought was. Talking about when Stark meets his father? Yeah. I mean, there's just, there were too many convenient moments, too many coincidences, too many jokes. Too many playing against types for that whole middle section mm-hmm. that I just felt like we kind of lost the stakes of what we're trying to do. It's like, okay, if half we, the population is dead, up, right? We're done. I mean, sure. that's it, you know, and yet I just don't feel like that was really comedic. I mean, Thor, especially. Thor's like kind of freaking out, doesn't want to see his mom, doesn't, doesn't really want to do this. He's kind of like, you know, kind of backing out of it. I'm like, dude, you know, I, I get that you're playing. They got him playing like this beach bum guy now, you know, right. out of shape. But come on, this is like for all the marbles, and this is like your one chance, and you're kind of chickening out on it. Right. I don't get it, you know. But it was for jokes. It was like, yeah. oh, let's play him as this goofy guy now. That's when it started to go too much in the humor on these flashbacks and time travel. It kind of lost me for a little bit. The audience was loving it. All mm-hmm. the throwback moments were great. But I'm just like, you know. But man, this is <laughs> this well the one the one big story. Um, like it, yeah, I can see how it bothered you, and yet. I love Chris Hemsworth. I love the Thor character. I've always liked him being humorous. But in that moment when it's like, you've got a mission, you should have been in and out of there pretty quickly. 
And it gets kind of. He's just like, oh, I want to go find the wine. I think my dad used to have yeah, a wine cellar. I'm like, way, okay. It gets way, I think way the whole down. beach bum thing got played way too long. It's Probably. like, I'm all for it when you first meet him and you see how out of shape he is and he's right. playing Fortnite with his friends. I'm like, right. got it. Awesome. Right. But the minute Thanos' name is mentioned in front of him and he gets so stone sober and cold, that should have been the way he is that from that way on. It's like, okay, now you've, you've presented me with a way that we can get revenge on this and we can get this fixed. Right. I'm in and yeah, yeah I'm out of shape and I'm not in my game, but I'm still going to push forward. And I go. agree. I wish yeah. they would have kind of shifted gears at that point. Um, but they didn't, I was, and you know, even though, you know, the setup, they were going to do time travel once they started getting into it. The fact that they go where they chose to time travel, the other instances, honestly, weren't that interesting to me. Um, like, you know, the Thor visiting here was kind of like, okay, them going to the planet, um, for the soul stone, you know, that yeah. to me was like, I liked where it had to end up, which I was like, how's this going to work? And I liked how that particular scene ended up, but they were all kind of, I don't know, for some reason they weren't the, the one that actually interested me, which I guess maybe you could predict, but I couldn't was when they go back to, literally the same time frame as the first Avengers movie no, that with was, the attack. And I was like, Oh, well, so it was kind of like they that were was watching the, themselves and yes. all that kind of thing. And you see the things attacking the city. And you're like, well, because that oh, okay. actually kind of gave you some great insight as to what happened during that first Avengers movie after they apprehended Loki. And they're like, <laughs> I mean, it was cool. I'm like, okay, yeah. So they're actually supposed to turn him into this group, but now they're saying no. And there's actually a disagreement and there's, Right. All that was cool because I really felt like we were seeing an angle of a scene that's like a classic scene that sure. now we're seeing in a different way. The other ones were just like, okay, yeah, there's Star Lord singing to himself. They were servicing the story. It's like, yeah, that's fine. That's for now humor, of course. We're just going to go do the same thing that he did. And sure. Yeah, it just, it just didn't. It just that male section didn't work for me as much as it probably did for a lot of people. But I, understand. I think it was the combination of being time travel and the combination that I think that the tone just got a little silly. It just got a little silly at times. More so than I think it needed to be for the kind of film that this was. I the how I said you know I appreciate the first and second, but then the third part of the film was what really kind of wore me down. It was the long extended battle scene in the dark <laughs> for better. Yeah, and, but I think they did it as good as they could. It just kind of really wore me down. Well, um, but then the two final, um, it's two of the final like end scenes. There's a pan or a dolly. It's not a pan. It's really kind of a dolly shot among groups of characters at a funeral mm-hmm. and they had to show us each set. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I get it. Here's the big, you know, it's like just really random. And then somebody comes walking out a door and stands on the porch just so you were sure that, and I was just like, okay, got you. It was, and what, what yeah. was even worse to me is there were some people and I probably, cause I'm not a fanboy that were there. And I'm like, who are you? Why, well, why are probably you one person? One person, nobody knew who he was. Oh, okay. and I, we had to look it up online and find out who it was. But that that was yeah. irritating because I was just like, okay, you're doing this, but it's such fan service. And on top of that, like who, some of these people, who, See, who are they? My thing is if you hadn't had all the time travel bits and all the re- recalling the classic uh, moments from the franchise and all that, if you didn't have that type of device going on in the middle of the movie, I'm all fine. Give me a big, long fan service scene. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, because I feel like, again, culmination movie, you're kind of capping this all off. But we had already gone through so much fan service with the time travel. And now we're also going to give you some more fan service at the end. It was a little it was a little much. I felt a little forced. And to pile, and to pile on, two yeah. additional clunky moments that have to, happened after that was there is a 
transitioning of somebody who portrays a character to somebody else, that could not have been handled more clunkily and terribly in my book. And then... Um, Spoilers, he can say who it is. Okay, so Captain America passes his shield. That was so terribly done because these two characters are... You know, just kind of standing around, they're like, where's Captain America? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there he is. These two characters go over and then one character turns to the other for no apparent reason and says, oh, you, you go up and talk to him. And it's mm. like, why are you doing that? It's like as if you know that he's going to pass the shield to this other character and let him be. It's like it was dumb. It's like, no, why don't you both go up there and talk to him? Why can't you both talk to him? Dumb. And this character is sunsetting now. He is leaving the franchise. You think he has a wedding ring on. Somebody asks him, oh, you know, how was, you know, you got married. How was your wife? He's like, you know, I'm just not, I'm not going to say, or, you know, make some kind of sense. And he just kind of smiles. Nice moment, fade to black. Can we do that? Oh, no. We've got to go back in time and see him having a slow dance with his wife. I'm like, come on. Uh, so that moment absolutely worked for me oh um, gosh the Jeez. uh captain america comes back as an old man because he's basically oh, gone back in time and he's yeah. lived his life i thought it was a great moment and it's a great callback because the first captain america movie you got the whole save a dance for me and now they get their dance <sighs> i thought that was great i thought that was really good the clunkiness with the passing the shield on yes yeah like okay since, but, you're, since you're gonna throw out names yeah bucky who's his like bestie he sees him. And he's like, "Oh, what, what, what's this over here?" He and what's his name, Falcon, Falcon. whatever. Sam, yeah. Sam. Wilson, they go, man. Sam. They go walking over there, and then they realize it's him. And then Bucky turns to him and is like, uh, "Sam, go go talk to him." I'm like, "Why don't you both go talk to him? What's happening?" Oh, I get it. Only Sam could talk to him because he's going to pass the shield to Sam, so he can be the new Captain America. Man, bad. Poorly handled. And I guess it's letting people know, hey, guys, don't worry. We're still going to have Avengers movies. And won't we be cool? Because an African-American will be Captain America now. Wow. Groan-inducing. Groan-inducing. Man, Chris. Also groan-inducing. While I'm at it, it, also groan-inducing. Captain Marvel loved the movie. Um, They got a lot of flack from a lot of fanboys um, because... I guess they hate the fact that women were becoming a central theme mm. in comic book universe. And they're like, no, this is our territory. Okay. I think they overdid it a little bit no, in yeah. the final CGI I climactic battle agree. mess. Completely agree. You know, they had, I think it was Captain Marvel initially maybe helping out. No, or maybe it was, um, I don't know, it was one lady character that was helping out Spider-Man. And he's like, oh, how are you going? And then basically, like, from out of nowhere, all the women Avengers assembled behind him. It was like, it was, no, was where he was like a poster or a T-shirt. And I was like, okay, guys, we get it. Like, yeah, it was that, just that was the example was I was giving the of fan service just for the point of fan service. And yeah. it didn't really add to the story or really make sense in the story at all. No, no I agree. That part was groan-inducing. Yeah, again, I think the last third just was not as strong as I'd hoped it would be. Um, I don't think the emotional payoff was quite as strong with people returning that had been kind of killed in the first movie and now they're back. It just, it was all very convenient. It was all very contrived. It was all very kind of, you know, to make cool poster frames from different shots. I get it. You know, and and that's why I say the last battle thing didn't work for me as well as what the ending of infinity war did, which I thought was a lot more 
there were reasons why everything was happening. And I mm-hmm. felt like we kind of broke the teams up and we were seeing them in smaller battles and it made sense. I knew what was going on here. It was just, let's just throw everybody onto a big battlefield and just go nuts for 15, 20 minutes. And it, that's never my favorite type of storytelling. So yeah, there were some interesting fun moments within that big battle, but not enough to make it worth the whole battle scene on its own. Gotcha. Um, but you know, me being a fan, some of the fan servicing moments, especially the ending bits, Tony Stark's funeral, the whole Captain America. Oh yeah. Aging totally thing, spoilers. Totally. Telling who died. Oh, no, 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 no. We're already there. I mean, sure. yeah, yeah. We had two major Avengers die, Black Widow and Tony Stark. And, well, and you, you know, assume Captain America's done. Well, he's done. He's not dead, but I mean, right. he's not going to be Captain America anymore. So unless he can do so with a cane, right? Or something. Yeah. So Hawkeye, I think, is kind of retiring. Or at least he had planned to retire. He only got pulled out whenever his family got got wiped away. <laughs> now they're back. So, you so know. amusing. You talk. You mentioned earlier in the review watching it in a full theater. Yeah. Um, kind of the suspension of my disbelief too is you know we sit down, it opens up. On Hawkeye, and you see him with his family, you're like, oh. And I immediately yeah, was like, you know okay, we, we know what's happening here. Because they're obviously going to show us the snap happen and then the fallout on his family. And I guess maybe not everyone was anticipating that. Because some people are like, oh, and they see Hawkeye. And I'm like, yeah, but guys, you realize what it's about to happen. And sure enough, the snap happened, and you saw him like turn around looking for his daughter. And then there were, <gasps> like, gas in the theater. Mm-hmm. I'm like. Seriously? Well, I mean, you know, if you expect it, it's still an emotional, nice beat. But I mean, I can see some people thinking all that happened in the past in the last movie. Now, this is like a lot of time longer, not realizing that it's going to coincide. It's going to dovetail. So, you know, it was some nice audience moments, I think, throughout the film for me, which was great. It did add to the enjoyment of it. Um, Again, I had a good time with the film. Sure. I do feel like it was messier at the end than it needed to be. I feel like we lost a lot of that emotional connection we had to the characters that I think they did such a great job of building up in the first you know third of the film the time travel bit I get it and I think it was fun and it was kind of cool to see some of those scenes kind of reenacted and it was their way of breaking out into teams yeah and I get that as well I just wish the tone had been a little more consistent it's not that I wanted a dour serious movie but just Okay, guys, you know, I, I get some little quips and jokes here and there, but man, sometimes the humor was just downright silly and it just, it just didn't work for the whole film as a whole for the, the to go that, that, to go quite that extreme with well, the time. And not always clear what you could bring back by snapping your finger, what you could do by snapping your fingers. Because well, at one I, point, I think it's just, it's, it's a total a wish snap, fulfillment. Well, but at one point, he, like uh, the Hulk does it. And it was like, oh, yeah, I tried to do this, but it didn't quite work. You're no, like, no, no, no. He, what he said is uh, he was able to bring back everybody that died from the, the snap, but he couldn't bring back Black Widow. He wanted to. He was trying. To, and I, I, my son and I got into a whole But, like, I don't discussion. understand. I don't understand. Well, the logic and then, part- like, at the end, you Iron Man snaps and just all the bad guys disappear. It was like, well, if you can command what happens, well, then. Well, I think, and again, I'm probably going to get way too nerdy on this, but. I think the fact that one of the stones is that soul stone and they had to sacrifice somebody in order to get that. Right. It's a situation where you can't snap that person back into existence because but to do somebody so you was, to use it. Somebody was snapped back. Somebody is currently in existence. That No, that's the old version of that character. The current version is still dead. Gamora is still dead. We are now seeing a 
version from the past that got brought to the future. This is where time travel starts to hurt my yeah, head. Yeah, but again, is that because what? Yeah, I don't. I, I, yeah. yeah, I I understand their logic the way they're trying apart. to. It does time travel in general just makes it fall apart. I mean, right. it does. Can't really happen. You know, because it. then my question would be, well, why not go back in time now with get the vision and, and get, get vision and yeah, get Black sure. Widow and bring them back, and now you've got them right. like here. But I get it. The argument is, is that the Soul Stone, you had to sacrifice somebody to get that. So now to be able to use that to bring them back, you would technically lose that stone again. And it just, but you lose all the stones anyway, because you're going back to try to smooth out the timeline because bald headed, whatever her name was, that was the pre Dr. Strange to Dr. Strange said you had to do that. It's like, yeah, but if you do that and you replace all the stones, then Thanos will just always get them again and you'll be stuck in an endless loop. But they killed the Thanos from the past. When he came to the current future and they wiped him out. So there's no Thanos in the past anymore. Yeah. I know. This is why I don't like time travel. <laughs> okay. This is exactly why I don't like time travel. Right. This is why it hurts my head. This is why the minute I realize that they're going to do the You're time like, travel uh-oh. thing, I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. And sure. um, at least they kept it entertaining. Yeah. But I, 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 I'm, I'm, if I put my head too much into it and thought too much about it, it does start to really slowly unravel and fall apart pretty bad. So fair enough. Okay, Avengers Endgame, I will say I thought it was fun. I had a good time with it. I just wish it was more consistent, and I wish the tone was not all over the place, and I uh, and I wish the ending fight scene was not just a whole bunch of CGI all over the place. And uh, They've done it better in other films, so I know it's possible to do. Captain America Civil War had a great hero-hero yeah. fight. At the airport? Yeah, at the airport. Yeah. That. Sure, it, it used worked. a lot of CGI. It was a lot of animation, it but it was effective. And yeah. it just, you could follow it and you knew what was going on and you had an emotional investment in the fight. Here, I couldn't get really that invested in the big battle scene. So, and for what it's worth, Civil War is my favorite MCU yes. movie. I can say that without a doubt. That is number one on my list. Yes. Yeah. I, I've seen your, I've seen said list. I, yes, see. I know your list. Fair enough. I have not done my list yet, but I will. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've talked enough about that. Avengers Endgame, it is out everywhere, will be for a while. I do think if you are a fan of any of the Marvel films at this point, you you should go see it. It's a fun experience in a theater. It is three hours long. It is a long film. Um, But I think it flows pretty well. It didn't feel like three hours quite to me. It felt long, but it didn't feel that long. Um, And I think just an interesting achievement to pull together what they did with as many characters as many people as they did and still make a real, a good entertaining film. Uh, I give them, give them props for that. You know, I just, uh, think it could have been a little better, but I mean, that sure. sounds nitpicky at this point. It's still a good <laughs> entertaining film. Sure. So that's Avengers Endgame. Let's move on to something on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. Chris, not only in scope and size and per box office performance, <laughs> but we are going to talk about a film that, uh, man squeaked by and just, just made it up online for people to start seeing. It is the latest from Terry Gilliam, the long in development, the man who killed Don Quixote. Don Quixote de la Mancha. Come to restore the lost age of chivalry. Well, I wrote that. Blasphemer. A hand of our God in heaven wrote me. Can I read? <laughs> the peasant like you cannot read. I will sound the words. And you... And look at the pictures. He actually believes he's done Quixote. This is going to be fun. He's a saint. He's insane. I am Don Quixote. 
With recent additions to his catalog being movies like The Zero Theorem, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, and Tideland, I'd begin to wonder if my days of anticipating a Terry Gilliam film were behind me. Then came the announcement that the long-delayed, off-thwarted production of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote would be shown as the closing night film at Cannes in 2018. The screening came and went, but the movie never arrived in the U.S. due to legal matters. The film has finally surfaced on iTunes, and we've now both caught up with it. After having it feature in our new segment several times, Alan, what was your take on this film, and did it manage to capture a glimmer of the skill that some of Gilliam's well-received works, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Brazil, The Fisher King, Twelve Monkeys, are lauded for? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So this was a movie, right? I mean, it was a yep. full... Okay. All right. It was a movie. Sure. Not, it wasn't a dream you may have had. <laughs> well, a fever dream. Uh, it could be considered a little bit of a dream. I I, uh, I will say this. I, I had a fun time with this movie. Okay. It definitely has some issues. <laughs> and it, it it does cripple under the fact that I think you see the restraints of a budget. You see the restraints of a production that has gone way too long and just you kind of got the sense that there's this film, they're almost like saying, look, we had this one chance to just go ahead and get this thing made. Adam Driver is a willing participant. Let's use him. Let's go. Let's just get it out and get it done. And while I thought the end result was fun, I, I definitely felt like it was probably the least. I, it's weird saying this visually. I thought it was one of the least Terry Gilliam like films, but I also think part of that had to do with, Hmm. budget and production timeframes and other things that were maybe forced on him to get this thing going and get it done and finally take the advantage to, to do it. Um, hmm. It is not the disaster I thought it might be when I went into it. I actually okay. had a lot more fun with it than I expected to. Okay. Um, it does help that you have two very willing participants in, like I said, uh, in uh, Adam driver and Jonathan price right. playing, quote Don Quixote unquote. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I think those two made the film enjoyable and watchable. I don't know how it would have worked if we didn't have those two so eager and game to go along with it and have fun with these roles. Cause they really, really were having, I think a fun time playing these parts. Sure. Even if the rest of the movie around it didn't quite hold up to it. So I will say I, I give it a pass. I liked it. I had a fun time watching it. Um, I wish it could have been more. I wish it could have been the bigger vision. I think that probably uh, Terry Gilliam had when he first envisioned this film with a bigger budget and maybe more, uh, more time for production. Who knows? But as it was, I think it was a, it was a, it was a fine entertaining movie. Definitely not one of Terry Gilliam's better films, but I think it's an okay addition to his, to his filmography at this point. At least he can say, check the box. <laughs> Did it. Finally got it done. Let's move on. Um, what about you, Chris? I'm note, curious. On that note, just kind of round out, what was the last Harry Gilliam film that you saw? Oh, gosh. Any of those that I mentioned in my intro, no. have you seen? Nope. Okay, mm -mm. that's kind of why I threw them in there. Yeah. Um, well, what what were my thoughts? So overall, I think I am positive on the film. I think I may be a little more positive mm -hmm. than you. And okay. I think that comes from the fact that I, you know, I mentioned some of the ones that he's well known for, some of the ones that you have seen, Fisher King, 12 Monkeys, Brazil, My Python and the Holy Grail. And that was kind of him at the height of his powers. Sure. He still has a really good imagination, 
I feel like and has interesting ideas, but I think whether it's because he's hard to work with and maybe he can't get funding, I'm, I'm not sure what all the, you know, mm-hmm. the things that have plagued this thing for so long, you hear financial troubles. He's had stars come and go. Johnny Depp was at one point going to be the person that Adam driver ended mm-hmm. up being, you know, the documentary that you and I've talked about, they showed Johnny Depp kind of taking yeah. on that role. And I could have seen that too. I mean, I, Oh, I can't, I, no, I no, can't. no, I can. I can. I'm not saying it would have been better. <laughs> no, give me hear me out. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I could see him playing the role. I think it, you know, I could see him in that type of style role, but I don't think he could have done it better than Adam driver. Adam driver was really good in that role. I, you know, maybe Johnny Depp of like, <laughs> In the 2000s or well, 19 And that's when they were talking about making it. Right. So, yeah. Maybe, but still after, it, I was so won over by Adam Driver and Jonathan Price. I can't imagine anybody else doing no, it. I agree. Um, and I think, yeah, something about the nuance that Adam Driver was able to bring to the role, I don't think, yeah, Johnny Depp could have could have done. Um, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second because that kind of plays into what I took away from the film that I don't think his – most recent works, I mentioned Zero Theorem, Tideland, Dr. Parnassus, which that was another problematic one quickly because Heath Ledger died. Because Heath mm-hmm. Ledger was supposed to be like kind of the lead character in that. He died, so he had to kind of work around it and didn't really end up working. So for me, even though it doesn't go to the grandeur of his you know heyday films, it was kind of a return to, no, this is a complete work, even though it took a long time to do. And I feel like... Gilliam's ideas are still there. And the most effective thing that I thought, and I think it worked regardless of actually in a way (laughs) it kind of worked because of the budget. And that is the thing, the whole conceit of this is that Adam driver at one point made a student film Mm -hmm. and he basically does like this take on the man of the matcha Don Quixote. Okay. Years, years later, he's come back. He's in the area. He's like a director who has had a lot of fame, but right now he happens to be shooting a commercial and he's not really invested in it. He's basically just, you know, phoning it in essentially, but it's a commercial all around the whole Don Quixote concept. So correct. Yeah. And while he's there shooting it, he comes in contact with various people who were in this student film that he shot, you know, years ago at the beginning of his career, basically. Mm -hmm. And, what was interesting for me is he kind of, at first he's kind of a little bit dismissive, but then the further down the rabbit hole he goes, he sees how these people's lives were affected by what he had done and it got him fame, but where did it leave them? Yeah. And that's kind of where the Don Quixote character played by Jonathan price originally back when he did his student film, this guy was just a random dude who was like a shoemaker and he was really good at what he did, but he wasn't an actor, but you know, Adam Driver's character was kind of like, oh, I'm going to use found people and everything. And, you know, the guy couldn't remember his lines and everything, but somehow through the magic of cinema or whatever, he just kind of became, air quotes, Don Quixote. And then the the tragedy that you see is that he never divorced himself from this character. Right. And so he spends the rest of his life thinking in his head. So, you know, it kind of follows along with the original Don Quixote story. And... It is not a perfect film. Mm-hmm. Yes, some of the things do not work, but I like how they wove in things that characters were imagining, both Adam Driver's character, which I forget his actual... Toby. Toby. There mm-hmm. we go. So I, have, I can quit calling him Adam Driver, but <laughs> Toby as the director, and then the Don Quixote character, you see different things at different times that are imagined in their heads, mm-hmm. and it's kind of sometimes you can't tell reality from what's not reality, which plays into the whole 
Are they making a movie? Is this part of a movie? Is this part of the commercial? What exactly is going on? And without spoiling anything, where the film ends Mm -hmm. and the way two characters are at the end of the film and their relationship to each other is very interesting and is actually really kind of cool. Now, because I don't want to spoil kind of how that ends because that is the very end of the movie. So for me, all that was really interesting. It's very different from anything you see. Now, I guess in a way you can look at it and be like, oh man, it's a shame that he couldn't have made it with all the funding and everything. And it is, but in a way somehow that's kind of a commentary on the director. He ends up kind of selling himself. He's doing a commercial. He's not really commercial vested in it. Whereas like, I don't know, it's kind of a commentary on art. Honestly, I got a lot out of it. Well, I'll tell you, story-wise, I loved it. I mean, the story itself, the way the description you gave, the synopsis of it, all the beats of it were great. Where I think this film just lost a little bit is, is it became really shaggy through most of the middle section of the film, where it had a lot of little subplots going on and kind of trying to tie them all together. There's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of, you know, scenes. uh, There's some... Uh, I don't want to call them chase, but you know, there's some scenes that are meant to kind of play with this idea of you know, trying to chase down one another or, and it just got a little shaggy where it's just, I think well, it's the, a little bit of the quest of Don Quixote because he is yeah, on a quest. And so sure. The whole, but the quest yeah. got just a little muddied and it got a little kind of, I don't know. I think honestly, once the time we get into, I'll just say like the palace, you know, okay. kind of a more of a physical structure out of the desert, uh, sure. out of the wilderness and we get there, I really lost a lot of interest. I don't feel like we had that dynamic between Toby and Don Quixote. They were separated for a good part of the film. And I think the real best part of the film was them interacting with one another and True. kind of playing off each other. So that's where I say it kind of got shaggy. It just lost a little bit of a focus. I think it lost a little bit of the charm. It had built up in the first half. I did love the way it ended. I agree with you on that. It's a good ending. And I, and in my comments about the the budget, I mean, again, I don't need this to be a, a huge high-dollar budget production film, but I think Terry Gilliam's imagination, I felt like, got a little limited at times because sure. of the budget restraints. Oh, absolutely. You know, there was one scene where Don Quixote is envisioning something and they use some form of computer animation on some objects. And it was kind of cool, but it was like the only moment in the film where you felt like they actually could <laughs> do that. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not saying I needed CGI at all throughout it, but it's like if you're really going to play with the imagination and play with what these characters are seeing and what they're envisioning to be real or not, uh, some scenes just seemed a little low budget and it didn't match that that idea of the imagination and the quest that they were doing. Again, I I think the the story at play was awesome. I think Adam Driver was great and I think really funny too. I think yeah. he had some reaction shots and throwaway lines that were just so good. And then, yeah, Jonathan Price, thinking about how we saw him in The Wife just a few months ago mm-hmm. and now seeing him play the most absurd, bonkers character he could possibly play. And he was really good. He yeah, seemed totally to be having a great time doing it. Goofing on himself. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, they both seemed so, really at home in yeah. their Terry Game characters. I think. Adam Driver. I think everybody else outside of those two were good, but I don't know if they were quite relishing the the story as much as those two were. I, I would agree. I yeah. don't think maybe they really knew what was going on mm-hmm. as much as the two central people, you know, and maybe that was by design, but you kind of think that was a little bit of kind yeah. of a haphazard nature of it. I think Adam Driver, what was about his performance, he was great, but I don't think I've ever seen him really be able to do 
comedy. You know, I've seen him be serious. I've seen yeah. him be aloof and stuff like that and other roles that he's had, but kind of the mixture of both. He's this pompous film director, but at some, he's like kind of goofing on himself. He's kind of clueless as to what's going on. Yeah, it was a really nice, nice range. So I, uh, I actually found a lot of similarities to The Fisher King, which mm, is yeah. my favorite film of, of Terry Gilliam. Because it deals with delusions. It does. Somebody who delusions. Yeah. And I think even the uh, Toby, the, the Adam Driver character, had a lot of... <laughs> Jack, the uh, Jeff Bridges character, the DJ character, a little bit in him too. Okay, someone who's maybe had a, a peak of of popularity, maybe has slipped from that a little bit, or lost focus on who he is or who he's supposed to be. Falling in with someone that you know has these uh, kind of delusions of grandeur and kind of a bigger picture of themselves, like the Robin Williams character. Yeah, it's there's a lot of similarities there. So I'm sure so maybe why I did like this film ultimately, and I think the story really worked for me. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was enjoyable. Um, again, I just I wish I wish Gilliam could have made this at his peak sure. when he had the resources and the time and everything around him. But keep the same cast. I'm fine sure. with that. Yeah, just, the cast is great. Just add the production value, tidy up the story more. I almost felt like we had some. We spent so much time in the castle or palace. Because it was a set that they had they could use, sure. and it was cheaper to do that. That's honestly the impression I got. <laughs> and are you talking about specifically kind of the last third where yeah. they're having the, – okay. Yeah. Okay. By the time they got to this – Yeah. This this you know, palace, this uh, castle, you know, however you want to phrase it. Sure. Uh, again, I don't want to give too much away what was really going on with it, but – uh, when it got to that point, I just kind of felt like it's like, okay, yeah, we had to bring him into this set and use this set as much as possible. And again, I, I hate judging a film by that, but I do feel like that they were a little more limited with it. We've seen Terry Gilliam films where the imagination is just bonkers through the roof. Right. And I felt like this could have used a little bit more of that at times to really bring us in that world as it was now the imaginative the imaginative parts of it, the more fantastical parts were, I think, very small and fewer and far between. And it just didn't help lend to the story as much as it could have. So, Well, and um, I think the shame of it for me is that the films that I mentioned in the intro, they had, I think, more money. But they because did. they didn't get any kind of returns, it was like, you know, diminishing returns he's with every single one of those bit, films. Yeah. And so finally he's like, well, I've already got this film 85% made, or maybe it was only 30% made, mm. but he somehow managed to get the rest of it done, but it was on such a low budget. And the shame of it is, yeah, it would have been one of the, I think it would have been up there with some of those we've mentioned Fisher King and stuff. If he had only not squandered the ill will or he hadn't had those three in a row, basically yeah, he had three true. strikes in a row. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, well, and so it's a shame because I think the potential was there. The acting was there. The story was there. Everything was clicking. But yeah, something something holds it back. But I, you know, even the the movie acknowledges it. The opening title kind of says like, you know, 10 years in the making or 15 years in the making. Oh, yeah. It, it kind of it acknowledges that yeah. and says and then goes to the title. So I'm glad we finally got to see it. I actually thought it was less shaggy than what I thought it would be. Well, yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, really, if I compare it to what my probably initial uh, suspicions were, it was a much better movie than I expected. I thought it was going to be end. an absolute disaster, like a mess disaster. I mean, it certainly had the capability of being so. Sure. You, know, you hear all the backstory of the film. but uh, And then when it took so long after they premiered it in Cannes, you actually heard, you know, mixed up, but overall generally kind of positive, mm -hmm. and then it didn't show up at all. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, is it really legal trouble, or is it just terrible? I will but, say just a couple of things I'll, I'll call out that I really liked in the sure. film. Um, 
the introduction, well, the reintroduction of Jonathan Price as Don Quixote mm-hmm. at his little uh, tour- tourist attraction yeah. sideshow, I thought was really well done it was. and fun. And that was um, a glimpse of something that you think, yeah, it was like a moment that they were able to kind of do and do effectively. Yeah. That, I mean, it worked sure. perfectly. And, yeah. uh, and I'll say the music. I thought the music was really good. Actually, the music... I mean, again, going back to the production value, but the, the music actually elevated the film. I felt it gave it a very epic sure. feel to it, even when sometimes the visuals and what we were seeing didn't always match it. But Probably because maybe originally when we started out in 2000 or whenever you originally started, maybe that was one of the first things they were able to get score, in the bag. But, <laughs> so, but I, I distinctly was recall watching, listening to the music and saying, man, that music yeah. really, really elevates the film um, from, from where it is. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I did enjoy the film. It's one of the, uh, you know, better Gilliams, I guess, in recent history. Oh, without uh, a doubt. You know, so that's nice to see. And Adam Driver still just, to me, cements himself as an actor that I'm always intrigued to see what he does next because he has made some really fascinating choices in film projects between the uh, Jarmusch films he's mm-hmm. done uh, he's got the new one coming out with uh, the zombie film, the Jarmusch right. film that he's in. Uh, between this, of course, you got the Star Wars saga. I mean, just some really interesting characters he likes to play. And it, and yeah, it looks like the Jarmusch film is going to be able to exercise his comedic talents a little more. I hope so, because they were really good here. Yes, <laughs> so they, yeah. were, they were great. I will say um, kind of a minus that I'll mention, Stellan Skarsgård, who I like. He's been in tons of stuff. He was in it, and I feel like if his character could have been a little bit more fleshed out or given more to do, yeah, could have been a lot more interesting. And somebody that I think we originally saw in that Tom Cruise science fiction movie, and she's been in a couple other things, but Olga uh-huh. Kurilenko, yeah. she's good and not really given a whole lot to do either. Well, that's the thing is that those are characters that, you know, I understand what their purpose was in the film. Sure. And, but yeah, I felt like a little wasted. You know, you even had some of the supporting characters on the film set. That I thought were interesting, but yet, you know, we see him for a few minutes at the beginning and then we don't see him again for like an hour, an right. hour and a half. Sure. Uh, Jason Watkins played Rupert, you know, you got Paloma Bloyd as Melissa. Some really interesting characters like they're in the production and they're really just there very early on. And then you don't see him again for a good bit. I will say one actress that I was not familiar with at all, but I thought was really uh, pretty impressive. You're talking about the and love this, interest. Yeah. Angelica said Joanna Ribeiro. That was really good. She was. She was. Uh, she held her own there with uh, with Adam Driver. So I would say uh, of the performances, hers did rise above some of the other ones. And you, I think I'm on the same page with that. And I think originally when you see her, you're like, okay, here's the pretty face, and she's there to be a pretty face mm-hmm. and kind of be the love interest. But she's not really going to be able, probably to limitations of the script, she's not really going to be able to add anything. But no, she does. She's great, and you know. I think it was nice to see that she was able to kind of, you know, have a character that well, was fleshed out. Well, she had to play two different story. ages, you this know, playing true. like a 15-ish year old yeah. <laughs> early in the film. And she was really good at playing that. And then when you see her 10 years later and, you know, and who she's become. And right. I don't know. It was, it was a good performance. Well, and that's something interesting you mentioned. And maybe it's because we're familiar with various degrees of success, kind of the Gilliam nature and how he does things. So yeah, her playing this little teenager with braces and then mm-hmm. suddenly you see her older and it's like, you kind of get it. And maybe we're already going to forgive Gilliam because we kind of know what he's doing, but yeah, it just, it just works. And she definitely did a good job playing yeah, it. And so it, too. it worked, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess to sum up my feelings of it, I really appreciate the themes. And I think in a way 
<laughs> it's like the perfect thing where this movie worked better in a way. If, if it could have been done originally, like you're saying, long time ago, it probably would have been awesome. And I think it would have actually been kind of a hit. I think it probably. would have caught with some audiences. But too. something about this film, because of its you know storied history and the you know all the problems it had getting made, somehow it's just really cool how it parallels what's going on with Toby, the creativity of his youth, the pureness of it, and then the disappointment with himself once he has to sell his work for hire. He loses creativity or creative control, the realization that sometimes the outcomes of his success can come at the price of others. Like, you wonder... So it kind of ends up working as a parallel for Terry Gilliam, which I don't think is what he intended originally, yeah. but who knows? So I don't know. No, yeah. It I, works. I, think, I think the background of the production of the film actually does add some lore to the film that think, yeah. gives it a nice uh, personality to it. But And I think that's what yeah. helps despite the production budget. Yeah. Like if it didn't have that lore to help it at this point, it probably wouldn't be it would have, good. What would have been a perfect scenario is you have all that production drama and lore, but you've still got Terry Gilliam putting out some really good films in the meantime. So then it's like when he sure. finally gets to do this, he's still got the, the, the ability and the budget and all that to really make this the vision he wanted. I felt like he was just having to limit his own vision to get this thing made. And that's where I was a little disappointed that it didn't do more. Like for example, Chris, there's a, there's a, a quick throwaway scene early in the film. Okay. Where Toby is kind of exploring the on a, village on a motorcycle. Know. Yeah. On the motorcycle. Gotcha. He's exploring the village. Hey, I remember this. This is the village where I shot my student film mm-hmm. and he wants to go kind of check in on a couple of the people he remembered. Right. And he goes into a bar and he starts talking to, uh, the, the, the owner of the bar who I guess is Angelica's father, maybe. Yes. And they're talking and they're talking and there's subtitles running along the bottom. But then at one point Toby just says, what do we, we don't need these. And like takes his hand <laughs> and pushes the subtitles away. That was a great moment. That was a very Gilliam moment. And I'm like, I wanted more of that. It's like, (laughs) if you're going to tease me with that kind of breaking the fourth wall and doing something really kind of creative, inventive, don't don't hobble me the rest of the film now where I don't feel like we ever really get to explore that same level again. So little moments like that made me wish there was more of that. Um, but the it's moments like the, we did have were really, were fun. I think, yeah, the, the playfulness, unfortunately, that I think Gilliam's known for that, I think, unfortunately, budget constraints so they, and the time that it took to make this, like the love is gone and a lot of the playfulness has been drained out. There was Could still be. some. Still some. Some. Just not enough. Just, yeah, just have been not drained enough. out. Yeah. I, I think for me too now, he's made this film. It is the best of, you know, his three previous films weren't that great. This is like not a return to form, but it shows I've still got some magic left. Mm-hmm. Now that this albatross has left his shoulders, he's finally put it out there in the world. I hope... He does another film, and it and it's as good, if not better, than this. I think he's I capable so. of it. I just don't know if he's so burned out. He's like, look, I'm done. You know? I think he needs to work with Adam Driver again. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> I mean, really, I think uh, yeah. you kind of find somebody that gets your gets your your style of humor and your style of storytelling and your characters, and you just you grab a hold of them and you don't let go. Because <laughs> right. I will say, them. even though his other his previous films didn't really work, they were original ideas yeah. and they were, you know, so that's the thing is he doesn't do, he's not going to do James Bond 26, you know, yeah. not, although that would be interesting. It would be very interesting, <laughs> but you know, so I'm, I hope he, I hope he puts out another film and I'd be very interested. Yeah. To, my, my interest in his work is now, you know, peaked again because I, I think, okay, he's shown he can still pull something together despite the trouble of production. 
I'm, I'm curious to see what he does next. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. It is available online on iTunes and Amazon and other places you can buy it. Probably not going to see it in a theater anywhere anytime soon. Probably so not. If you did not catch it already in a quick theater run, then you're definitely going to have to watch it online. But it is available online now for yes. everybody to see. And I think Chris and I are both saying, yes, it is worth a watch, especially if you are a Terry Gilliam fan. It is a good addition to the filmography chris a little higher on than i am i i, I have some misgivings that i wish they could have had more time and, and resources to make this film what i feel like it was envisioned to be but as it is it's definitely been an improvement in what we've seen from gillian Absolutely. in our recent years so that's the man who killed don quixote all right we're going to go and take a quick break and when we come back we will be returning with some movie news and then we will also wrap up the show with our recommendations of the episode so stay tuned you're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv hey guys this is mary margaret from the chick chat podcast are you interested in promoting your business to an online audience your advertisement could be right here on the mesh podcast network head over to the mesh.tv for more details Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. You've heard our review of Avengers Endgame and of The Man That Killed Don Quixote. Now we're going to move into some movie news. This is the part of the show where Chris and I comb the internet and find a few movie news items that we want to share and discuss and uh, film projects that may be coming down the line, franchises that we're interested in, actors, actresses, directors, whatever it may be. And Chris, I will admit, uh, the, the, the two things I definitely want to talk about a little bit are both uh, franchise films okay. situation. So we're going kind of heavy on the franchise this episode with Avengers, and now we're doing these, but they are newsworthy, and I think it's worthy to talk about. So we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about Ugly Dolls this time? What? I don't even know what that is. Is that, a, <laughs> is that, a, that's an animated movie? Yeah, right? yeah Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I unfortunately don't know anything about it. So that's probably best. Um, I will talk about though a film franchise that I mentioned earlier, which is the James Bond franchise. So we have talked about this, some of the dynamics going on behind the scenes of this film. This is the situation where they have the 25th Bond film that is going to be worked on, and they have or have not released the title. They still have not. Okay, even after all these other announcements, still no name. Daniel Craig. Still signed on to do it. You know, he was the one that said for a while that he would never do another James Bond, but I right. guess they waived enough money and he's like, well, <laughs> I'll do one more. Okay. So he's going to do it. Um, this is one that was supposed to be Danny Boyle was going to be directing for a while. He was attached to it, but now it's going to be directed by Carrie Fukunaga. Um, he's a filmmaker who made the first season of True Detective. I don't know if you ever saw that show or I not. didn't, but I know the filmmaker for sure. Yep. Um, he's taken the reins after Danny Boyle's parted ways over created differences. There's been a lot more drama with this film. And I think the last Bond film was what, Spectre? Spectre. It's been a little while. I mean, you know, and the fact that this film hasn't even started filming yet. And the same guy who did Spectre did Skyfall, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah it is. So it's just been a little a little long here. Well, they did make a few announcements about where they're going with this installment. Still no name. But they did confirm that Oscar winning winner Rami Malek will be the villain. Mm. I'm okay with that. That's interesting. He's, is he going to be the villain because he's still going to be doing a Freddie Mercury impression? Yeah. Everybody's like tired of seeing that, so they're going to like Maybe. hunt him down. I, I'm. I think it's going to be kind of. I mean, I'm. I'm all for it because you know you see a you have a typical Bond villain and he fits a certain stereotype. I like the fact this one's younger. Mm. You know, we don't really have young villains normally in the Bond movies. 
you know, he's a different ethnicity. I don't know. It just is, could be interesting. Um, I'm, and I think Rami Malek's a pretty good actor. So, yeah. um, um, hmm. although I have caught back up with Bohemian Rhapsody again since seeing it in the movie theater and, uh, yes. it doesn't hold up as well. Um, <laughs> okay. got a lot more issues with it the next time I saw it. Which do you have more issues with just to totally grind everything to a halt? Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody? Oh, definitely more issues with Green Book. Okay. I can watch Bohemian Rhapsody and be entertained. But if I want to watch it from an acting or how directing standpoint and or storytelling, eh, it's not it's not really that good. It's great. Bohemian Rhapsody is good for performances. Mm-hmm. It's good for watching Rami Malek be Freddie Mercury. It's good for watching the band up on stage play. Right. Everything off the stage <laughs> starts to kind of fall apart a little bit. Anyway, okay, fair enough. sorry, this isn't about Bohemian Rhapsody. No, just Rami Malek. Unfortunately, any any discussion of Rami Malek for like the next it's year going to always is always going to reference Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. That's kind of his curse now. So, <laughs> right. um, so we have Rami Malek as the the villain. Okay. Uh, we have some familiar faces showing back up in the uh, film. So we have uh, Ben Wishaw, who was Q in the last few films, will be back. Jeffrey Wright, who played uh, American agent Felix Leiter, will be back. Uh, Ray Fiennes will be back as the new M. So you're getting a lot of the same people back. That's good. And you're getting Uh, some new random fresh face as the new Bond girl. Yeah, actually, you know what? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily the Bond girl because I kind of feel like maybe the Bond girl trope has been – Faded out in the last few films. I think they've kind of done away with this Which wise, iconic. Wisely you know, so. I agree. I agree. But someone who got added to the cast, and I don't know if it's going to be in that that situation or not, is uh, the woman who plays uh, Carol Danvers' friend in Captain Marvel. And I'm having a hard time mm-hmm. drawing the name. Okay. Um, she played Monica Rambeau in the in that in Captain Marvel, but I don't know her actress's name. But um. She was added to the film, which could be good as well. So mm-hmm. we've got some names being uh, Lasha- Lashana Lynch. That's it. Okay. Lashana Lynch is being added to the cast. So I think uh, curious to see where this goes. Um, the fact that there's just been so much drama behind the scenes though, makes me a little worried about it. Um, so we'll see what happens with it, though. Yeah, I'd, I couldn't be less excited about another Bond movie. Um, Skyfall did kind of wake me up and think like, whoa, Bond movies can be interesting again. Um, but yeah, I just haven't really been in. I've never really been a Bond fanatic. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see once they come out. Can I care? Can I, will it, Well, I think it's good because I'm, I'm sure we'll probably see it. In I am more of a Bond fan, but I'll admit, you know, Spectre was a big letdown. It didn't just didn't work for me as a film. I did like Casino Royale, which was like three films ago, and I did like Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, you know, other films before that, the Pierce Brosnan films, none of those really did a lot for me. So sure. uh, it's been hit or miss, and that's where I say it's, you know, when you look at a film franchise like the Marvel franchise, did you realize that all but two of the 22 films have had a positive Rotten Tomatoes, like fresh rating? Hmm. 20 out of 22. It's pretty amazing, it's I think, pretty, from a critical standpoint. Did you realize that all the Avengers films, with the exception of Endgame, 
meaning if they had Avengers in the title, were all released at the same time as the Hotel Transylvania film. No, uh-huh. I did not know that. Yes. Except for this one. Except for this one. Okay, Endgame I was going to say, because I don't but think there Avengers, was a... Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers Infinity War all came out oh, at the same time as a Hotel Transylvania that's film. That's very interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's not worth anything, but it's an interesting yeah. bit of trivia. Good to know. So, so there's know. that. Let's move on to our my other news item, okay. which, um, again, we're deep in franchise territory here. But Chris, I know your aversion to watch to watching certain trailers, uh, yes. unless you are absolutely presented with that trailer in a movie theater environment right. to watch. You are a big Star Star Wars fan. I am. So the Star Wars trailer uh, for Episode Nine uh, was released about uh, two weeks ago, I believe. I think that's and right. you just saw it for the first time last night because Correct. it was attached to Avengers, which I assumed. I will see it in the theater, which is how I like to see trailers. And I was like, you know, Disney owns Marvel. So I'm going to guess that they're going to place the Star Wars trailer. And they, and they did. So they was, did. Um, so I have to ask, since we have not talked about it, mm-hmm. um, what did you think? Um, I'm great. It's a teaser trailer. It is. It's very um, light on details at this it point. It is, so. which I, I like yeah. light on details. Because <laughs> it just gets you, in a, gets you excited. I would be happy if, after seeing the trailer... If I don't see anything else. Yeah. Good luck with like, that. I don't really want any more trailers because this one, I mean, I, I thought it was good, but you didn't really learn a lot, which is good for me. The mere title actually has me kind of worried. Mm-hmm. Um, Rise of Skywalker, just because I thought with the previous film, a lot of the Skywalker mythology was kind of being put to bed, mm-hmm. but they're kind of bringing that back up again. So I was, I was thinking it was kind of phasing out with Luke. And even though, you know, he may be there in Jedi spirit to kind of guide goings ons. I was kind of hoping that, I don't know. I was kind of hoping that it would kind of fade. So the, the title actually <laughs> worries me a little bit, but, um, you know, the cameo that they show or the, the person they show that hasn't been in any of the newer films, the force awakens or, um, last Jedi, they show him, and I think I'd heard this person was coming back, Lando. They show Lando. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep, okay, sure enough, here he is. Um, didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited about the film. I thought it was a good trailer. The imagery they showed, a lot of the shots and everything were very epic in scope. And, of course, they've got the music there. Um, not sure how I feel about the laugh at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but the one thing that stands out to me, as like the coolest shot. And I kind of wish in a way that they hadn't shown it because I thought it was so awesome was the very first thing they show where Ray's out in the desert and you hear the, you see an, you know, a craft approaching and you hear it. And then the maneuver that she does over and then they cut from that. So you don't see any of the rest of that scene, but just that whole first scene, I was just, Amazing. No, no, I well really done. like that. I, uh, I understand they've got to show us whatever little glimpses of footage they can after that point. It really is just a montage after that of right. like more imagery, not yeah, anything like, I plot. guess, yeah, they were showing kind of a scene and then they cut from that scene and just show you a bunch of like random footage. So so. It did its job in teasing. It got me excited for the film. Uh, yeah, the, the, there is the Palpatine laugh at the end, which, there you go. well, I mean, again, I, I don't think it could mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. It could be nothing. And it could be that, you know, he's a force ghost, just like, you know, Jedi have force ghosts. We don't know. I mean, he could just be visiting Kylo Ren to like give him some motivation or something. Some tips. Know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, here's something I would recommend you do to stop these guys. Something you know. that kind of confused me, which there again, I guess we'll learn, but 
you know, considering the path that Kylo Ren may take, they showed him seemingly like fusing his mask back together. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprised by that. But mm-hmm. I guess depending on the path that this person is taking, maybe not surprising. Well, I'm with you that I don't need to see another trailer. Yeah. I don't need to see any more detail. I'm fine. I realize we're, we're still, I mean, we're not that far off. It's yeah, only it's December seven months off. It's going to come off. Where normally they're showing us this stuff like a year in advance. So I'm kind of glad they held off a little bit longer. To, to to show us this, but um, I think Lucasfilms, well, I guess you know Disney now mm-hmm. uh, is still trying to make sure they've got a good pathway on this whole Star Wars franchise because they kind of took some missteps. Solo was a big misfire for them. I think they're still trying to figure out just what to do, and maybe they're not wanting to overexpose it any more than they have in the past. So I think holding off a little bit more, waiting a little bit closer to the release date to show stuff. Might be kind of the strategy. It's like, let's not just overdo it. Let's right. not uh, water down this experience for everybody yet. So anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm just as excited for this as I was when I saw the trailer <laughs> for Last Jedi or when I saw sure. it for Force Awakens. You know, sure. same level of excitement. Well, I will say I'm not quite as excited for this as I was for Last Jedi just JJ. because. Yeah, it's JJ. And JJ Abrams is good. And, you know, I really like Lost that he did. You know, I, he's got clever ideas and stuff. But the thing was with Ryan Johnson's installment of Last Jedi, I was so excited because I wanted to see what somebody like that was going to do with that amount of money. And and I am, you know, I liked it. I know, oh. a, lot of, I know a lot of people didn't. Oh, I loved it. I still <laughs> so, think it's great. And uh, I'm just worried yeah. that this film, Rise of Skywalker, is going to fall back into a lot of what I wasn't as high on about the force awakens force awakens still a good film, but it just felt so familiar. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that That's this last film is going to be a very return of the Jedi. Well, and I'm also concerned they're going to, they're going to negate some of the things that Ryan Johnson did in last Jedi. I'm too. also concerned about that, which is why the whole me mentioning Skywalker and Luke's voice. I'm like, cause so many people were mad that he died at the end of last Jedi. I just, yeah, I'm I don't know. concerned. I, I, yes, I'm anxious to see it, but I can see there being maybe some frustrations with like it. Like too much fan service done by J.J. Abrams to try to make some of the fanboys happy that got upset. Because that's one thing I don't think Ryan Johnson really did. He, I don't think he gave us a lot of fan service. He really yeah. just wanted to give us really what he thought were going to be great moments mm-hmm. with these characters. And I, I agreed with them. Yeah. I thought they were good. Um, the fact that we never saw... Uh, in Last Jedi, we didn't see Luke and Leia together until like one scene. We never saw them in person together. True. True, if you think about it. Yeah. And even then, it was late in the movie, one scene, that was it. Um, you know, he he just didn't seem interested in saying, I just want to do fan service. He's like, I want to tell an interesting story with these characters. And I'm just afraid that Carrie the, Fisher is in the trailer which for Which scared Rise me of because I, they, they talk about fan service, which I don't know timeline-wise – that has no. to be. She had already died. She'd already, okay, Carrie so Fisher's already passed done away. any shooting when because she died before actually. They're I guess, doing it somehow. Either footage they shot before that they're going to reuse. They used for Ryan Johnson because they did have a hug in Ryan Johnson's version, or maybe it was Force Awakens. They hugged at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think they're reusing some takes and footage and giving her some moments. I don't know how they're going to pull that off. I really don't. Yeah, because I was actually surprised at how they pulled it off in Last Jedi to begin with. The her use, but then to still use her fully in this film is interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that's my news items. Again, okay. two franchise updates for us, and uh, hopefully, maybe next time we get together, it might be some movie news about some 
little more unique, interesting film projects we can talk about instead of just the the big ones that we know are coming down the pipe. Sure. All right. And let's go ahead and move right into our recommendations for the episode. I'm going to recommend a film that popped up on Netflix. It apparently came out in 2017, but it's just now been released in 2019. For those who didn't feel like they got enough of Captain Marvel Mm -hmm. and uh, Avengers Endgame, I'm going to recommend, Grant, she's not playing Captain Marvel, but she is with... Uh, you know, Samuel Jackson. So you could say that she's with Nick Fury, Brie Larson, Samuel Jackson in Brie Larson's directorial debut unicorn store. Okay. Uh, Kind of an odd film. I can see why it didn't come out to audiences just in general theaters. It played at a couple of festivals. Netflix apparently picked it up, but then didn't release it. But I think with the huge success of Captain Marvel, they're like, Hey, let's put this out there. Um, It's quirky comedy, and I think the other thing that hinders it is because it's almost kind of a childlike idea, so you would think it would almost be a, you know, G-rated movie. It's PG, but it kind of borders on being PG-13 because there's some harassment stuff going on in the workplace that you're kind of like, whoa. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. But it is, I think it did end up being rated PG, but the idea behind it is a woman named Kit receives a mysterious invitation that would fulfill her childhood dreams and it is an invitation to go to the unicorn store. Unicorn store. So, and Samuel Jackson is the proprietor of said unicorn store, wearing a pink huh. suit and has confetti in his hair. Um, so, okay. Is, actually, in a weird way, it kind of seems like something Terry Gilliam would do. Um, yeah. It's kind of bonkers, Tim Burton esque, kind of bonkers. But it's her first, uh, she didn't write the screenplay, but she did direct it. Um, and I, I thought it was kind of cool. It's not perfect, um, but what it's kind of going for about, and it kind of goes behind some of the Toby ideas from uh, Don Quixote about not selling out and keeping yeah. your childhood, mm-hmm. you know, fancy or, you know, creativity alive. Um, so I'd check it out. It's on Netflix. Unicorn Store. It's called Unicorn Store. On Netflix. Yes. All right. Brie Larson directing and starring in. And directing and starring. Yes. Okay, cool. So, Chris, you asked me, I don't remember if it was on the show or if in the hallway at one point, you said, Alan, for your recommendation, are you going to recommend the new Pet Cemetery? Yes. And the answer is, yes, I am. Oh, uh, I'm okay. actually going to give it a recommendation. So, a little background here. Uh, Pet Cemetery, the Stephen King novel from, I believe, the mid to late 80s. I think so. Um, the mo- first movie came out, uh, Mary Lambert, I believe, was the director, came out in the Right around 90, early 90s, I think. Okay. I don't have the dates in front of me, but um, I was never a big fan of that 90s version of the movie. I loved the concept of the story. Mm-hmm. So I was excited when the film came out in the 90s to see it. I was not a big horror fan, but I was still very intrigued by going to see this movie. And I went. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I think I was maybe 15, 16 years old when it came out. So and it was. You uh, shouldn't have actually been seeing this in the No, I shouldn't have. I remember actually kind of, I think, sneaking in with my friends I to see, see it. And thinking, you know what? It could have been a lot scarier. It could have been more. It just felt a little hokey, a little cliche. It just didn't work for me as well. Okay. Um, there were some moments that worked great, but as a whole, the story itself just didn't have the same gravitas that I think that the, the, the King novel did and it didn't go deep enough with kind of what was happening and why and all this. Gotcha. So for those not familiar with it, Pet Cemetery is a story of a family that moves out uh, to the countryside and uh, the father is a, a doctor. They have two children. Uh, 
a tragic accident befalls a, one of the children, but yet there is a mysterious uh, pet cemetery near their property that they come to find out that has some some sort of abilities that if you go beyond the pet cemetery to a hidden ground that's obstructed beyond it and bury something there, it does come back, but not quite the same as you remember it. So in this version, um, it's not perfect. Uh, where I say the 90s version got us about 50% there. This one maybe gets us 75% there. Okay. Still has some gaps. Still some things that didn't work. <laughs> but I will give this one credit for, I think, uh, evoking a much stronger tone. Okay. I think it had a much more sense of dread. The book, I know, deals a little bit with the mental state of the father and the decisions he makes uh, with regards to his family members. I think this movie does a much better job of showing us that uh, mental uh, state of the main character than the older film did. Okay. And also, I hate to say it, and and there's a little tiny spoiler, but I think every trailer has given this away. So I I don't think I'm breaking any rules here. But they do a switch with which child is the one that comes back. Now, it's in the trailer. If you watch the trailer, you see it's the the daughter, not the son, is the one that comes back uh, from the pet cemetery. And I think this is my main reason for recommending this film. Jate Lawrence plays the young, the daughter. Okay. And she's really good. I mean, she's really good in this film. And they actually spend a little more time in this film where she has come back. But instead of like the little baby gauge in the 90s where the baby just came back and was just for no reason that anybody could explain, just wanting to go around and kill everybody, <laughs> there's actually some rationale for it in this film. Like we have a little better understanding of kind of what's really going on, okay. why it is these th- things come back, and why it is they have a tendency towards violence. Interesting. Yeah. And there's actually some interesting moments too upon a return the father and the child having some moments together that are interesting before things go a little crazy. And again, just little moments that I think really help benefit the story. Um, It's not perfect. They do some callbacks to the original movie or where they try to tease the audience say, Oh, we think you think you're going to do this scene just like we did in the old film version, but no, mm. oh, nope, we're going to jerk it away from you at the last second. <laughs> they do that too many times where it's kind of annoying where if you watch the nineties version and you like that film, they're just jerking around with you in this version a little bit more. And I thought that was a little too. Is that kind of where the John Lithgow character, is he a little bit too? No, I thought he too, was good. Oh, he, he was, was good. fine. Okay. But now his there in the nineties version, he dies and he okay. dies in a particular gruesome way. And they kind of play with that in this film. Like, uh, oh, you see him walking into a room and there's a bed right there. So you know what's going to happen. And they even give you a camera angle from under the bed, almost like say, oh, look out, it's coming. Wow. And then they jerk it away from you. It's like, nope, just kidding. That's not going to happen. And it's like, I, I get it. You're kind of playing fun with it. But when you do it three or four times in the film with sure. different situations, it's a little a little much. It's a little cloying. And I, I didn't care for that. Um, okay. And I will say Zelda who, if you recall in the the original film, uh, was the sister of the mother character that right. she would have flashbacks to that had a physical deformity and illness and was just a very scary character. Sure. Um, they try to redo that here, and it's nowhere near as effective as the old one was. Huh. So a little hit or miss in some places, but I will say better 
tone, better story elements. I think it went a little deeper than the last film did. And it was a little more interesting to watch, raise a little more philosophical questions than I think the old version did. Okay. Um, try to play it a little more straight than the older one did too. So overall, I'm going to give this one a recommendation. Say, you know, if, but I think it works better in a vacuum where you don't try to compare it to the nineties version, go in looking at it as its own entity. And I think you have a better time with it. Two comments. Mm-hmm. First, um, I'd be interested to see it because although I've read the book Pet Cemetery, I don't think I've actually seen the movie, um, the original one. Well, I that's think probably I've, good. I think I've maybe seen bits and pieces, but I never definitely never said it. I actually think that's thing. a good thing then. So yeah, I wonder mm-hmm. if I would actually like this yeah. uh, Pet Cemetery. Second comment, you may be the one positive review I've heard of this film. I know. Yeah. I think this is going to be this year's mummy for you. <laughs> Maybe so. I, I will admit, I, I was kind of surprised when I saw the, the reviews have not been good for this. And every review I read, it almost just seems like they're saying, well, it doesn't do this as good as the last film did. Huh. Or it by us by them changing the ending or changing this element of it, it's changing for no real reason. I Again, if I'm comparing it to the 90s, I can do a back and forth all day long. Sure. So, well, this part was better. This part wasn't better. I don't, that's not the way I want to look at the film. I want to watch it and say, all right, just, I want to watch it in its own merit. And I think on its own merit, I think it's a good movie. I think it's creepy. Okay. Um, I think uh, it generates a lot more discussion. I think, you know, my wife and I watched it and we, we actually saw it in a drive-in theater and it was cool. a perfect drive-in movie. Yeah. Sounds but like even it. driving home, you're like, okay, so if this had happened, why did they do, yeah, it makes sense why they did this. I understand this a little more. There was just a little more to it from a storytelling standpoint than I think we got before. Um, hmm. Now, how does it compare to the original novel? I don't know. Cause I'm too much of a Freddy cat to actually <laughs> read the novel. Cause I've sure. heard it was pretty terrifying, yeah, pretty um, nice but I thought the movie was pretty good. So mm-hmm. it's a, I'm giving it a, a fairly warm uh, recommendation, not a hot recommendation. Just, uh, gotcha. you know, it's a good scary movie. See, I never, was convinced enough to see the mummy. Still haven't seen it. However, you have convinced me. I do want to see Pet Cemetery now. I'm curious. Well, listen, when it comes out online, you know, for a couple dollars rental or whatever, yes, I think it's well worth it for sure. So, okay. Yeah, I'll be anxious to hear thoughts of anybody that uh, is out there and agrees with me. Uh, if you're the one person out there that saw this and agreed <laughs> that it was actually a, an improvement on the last one, I'd love to hear from you. So. All right. Well, that is our show for today. So we finished up with our recommendations. Uh, We did our reviews of Avengers Endgame and of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Both were positive reviews. I would say uh, I was more high on Avengers Endgame than Chris was. And Chris was a little higher on Don Quixote than I was. But overall, we were giving them both favorable, positive reviews. And uh, two films uh, worth checking out. And then of course our recommendations here at the end as well. So Chris, as anybody may have their opinions, their thoughts, their ideas, they want to share with us any questions or feedback, uh, whereabouts should they go to provide us with that information? Sure. The best way to provide feedback would probably send us an email to info at the mesh.tv with foot candle on the subject line. You can tell Alan that you saw pet cemetery and you will stand with him against all the critics. On stand the with me on pet cemetery, 2019. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we also encourage you to subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a star rating or a review because that helps us reach uh, new listeners. So that's always nice. 
Uh, Alan and I are also on Letterboxd, and we also are on Twitter. Sometimes we post things on Twitter about movies, but we're at Chris Fry and at Alan Jackson. And last but not least, my duty to the film festival is to tell you that we will be holding one September 27th through the 29th here in Hickory. Um, It's exciting. It'll be our fifth year. We're looking forward to it. So uh, we will have more information about like the chosen films and the lineup come January or January. No, not that far. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense. Like July, July, the Mm -hmm. other J. Uh, Yeah, come July. So be on the lookout for that. But we're excited. Looking forward to it. September 27th to the 29th. If you'll be able to make it. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So it always is. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Remind you that you are listening to this show on TheMesh.tv. So we encourage you to check out our show along with other shows on The Mesh Network by visiting TheMesh.tv. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. For Foot Candle Films, I am Alan. That is Chris. And thank you so much for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.